This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How many of y'all know conflict is inevitable? It's going to be a part of life. And some of us have experienced that. Erica shared that as she was leading worship this week. Uh, the weather feels like it's fighting against itself. And it was, it was 70 degrees, and then it was tornadoes, and then it was snowing yesterday. I mean, it's just kind of one of those weeks. And it doesn't matter what sphere you found yourself in. It seems like there was some conflict even between some of you who are Duke fans and those of us who are Carolina fans. It's just one of those weeks, right? Well, as a part of this series, since we're really focusing in on conflict, we decided we'd have a little fun and invite some of our staff just to get into some intentional conflicts, some challenges that we would put. And we've, we've actually made it a dad joke challenge. And so last week we introduced a couple of our staff members. This week we get to do the same. So this week, uh, Maddie Brown, who's our executive assistant, and Jen Barker, who uh, runs all of our uh, dream team and coordinates guest experience. We're so thankful for her. Uh, they, they are going to square off in a, another dad joke challenge. So watch. I'm Jen. And I'm Maddie, and we are doing dad jokes. Want to hear a joke about construction? Oh, yeah. I'm still working on it. Mm. Are you? Why did the picture go to jail? Why? Because it was framed. Mm. Not working, Maddie. Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? I don't know why. Because they're so good at it. <laughs> she laughed first. What's Forrest Gump's password? What? <laughs> one! Forrest one! <laughs> oh, stupid. I bought some shoes from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced them with, but I was tripping all day. <laughs> oh, this, I'm not good at this. I tell dad jokes, but I don't have any kids. I'm a, I don't know how to say this word. <laughs> Fox paw? Fox paw? <laughs> what is that? This might be the reason why we should read them beforehand. Just, just so you guys know. How did Darth Vader know what Luke got for... How did Darth Vader know what Luke got him for Christmas? How? He felt his presence. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. What do you call a hippie's wife? What? <laughs> she started. Mississippi. <laughs> got it? Yeah, I got it. I'm trying not to laugh. When does a joke become a dad joke? Oh, this is a good one. When? When it becomes pregnant. 
question as we get started today. Raise your hand if you like conflict. I don't see any hands going up. <laughs> as a matter of, let's do it the other way. Raise your hand if you dislike conflict. If you di- I just really just dislike it. Raise your hand. You know why I think many of us don't like conflict? I, I believe that there's something inside of us, actually a God-given instinct to desire peace. It's, it's, it's in there, and we want peace, and so much so that we feel like the peace in our life is disrupted when conflict comes. But I, I want to kind of point you to Hebrews 12, verse 14, where the Bible says, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living, and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Work at living at peace. Work at being holy. We should, these are things that won't happen if you don't put effort and work for them. As a matter of fact, I, I might go so far as to say in the context of this series that we should fight for a life that's at peace. That's maybe something that we won't get unless we work for it. We should fight to be holy because it's probably something we'll never get close to unless we put the work in. And because of that, I was just kind of reminded as I was preparing that the the best things in life are worth fighting for. The best things in life are worth fighting for. There's There's a tension in that because many of us, if we say that we want a better marriage, we have to be willing to fight for a better marriage. If we want to do better financially, we want to win with money, we've got to be willing to fight for that. If we want to live at peace, we've got to fight for that. If we want to win in our relationship with God, we've got to be willing to fight for that. There are some fights that are worth fighting. But how many of y'all know there's some fights that aren't? So next week, I'm actually going to share a message, just kind of get your heart ready for that over this week, about the hills to die on, the fights that we should be fighting, the hills that we should die on, the battles that we should be willing to say, I'll give my life up to fight that one. I'm going to do that next week because there are some things that are worth fighting for. I'd go so far as to say the best things in life are worth fighting fighting for. The conflict is kind of inevitable. Jesus 
predicted that for all of our lives in John 16, verse 33, where he said, I've told you these things. And if you pay attention to the moment in Scripture, Jesus has been teaching for several chapters about how to follow him and how to live a life that's pleasing to him. And there's so much texture into that. They're really just kind of being planted and rooted in him, being someone who's responding to him. All of that being reflected in that. And he says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, I think that the reason that some of us don't like conflict is because we think that peace is the absence of conflict. But it's not. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. And, and when we understand that we can be in conflict, that there are some things that are worth fighting for. I think what starts to register in our hearts is that as long as we're doing this the right way, Jesus is at the center of our relationships, we can walk through some healthy conflict and still feel peace. You know, there's some kind of trouble in our life that we can predict. We've been there before, right? You, you spend too much money on your credit card, and you know that bill's coming, right? You stay up too late, and you eat some food that you shouldn't have. You know that, that you're going to have to work that off. There's some, there's some conflict that comes that we can predict in life. I made some decisions, and I can see down the road how those decisions are going to impact my relationships. There's going to be conflict. But have you ever noticed that at some points in life, it's as if conflict just comes out of nowhere. Maybe you're in, in a season where you feel like I'm, I'm being the most obedient that I've ever been. I'm, I'm doing life in a way that I feel is healthy, and I'm doing relationships well, and I'm, I'm trying really hard, and then out of nowhere, it feels like life sucker punches you. You ever felt that before? Maybe it's a diagnosis. You went in for a routine checkup and they found something and they called you up and all of a sudden that stomach sinks after you hear those words on the telephone. Maybe it's somebody that you're in a relationship with and they sit you down and they say something that you never thought you would ever hear them say. We experience that in life. It's a, it's a reality. It's a reality for many of us that we're going to experience a sucker punch. On December the 9th in 1977, the Houston Rockets played the Los Angeles Lakers in Houston. In a game that would later just be called the punch, right after halftime, there was an altercation between a few players at midcourt. Involved in that altercation was a player named Kermit Washington. Kermit was an all-American from American University, straight-A student, a promising basketball player. And he was involved, involved in this skirmish at midcourt. And running back down the court as a part of the play was Rudy Tomjanovich. He, he was the captain of the Houston Rockets. Now, as he was running down, Washington, who was on the L.A. Lakers at that point, caught a glimpse of him out of the corner of his eye and feeling like he was about to be attacked, turned around and punched Tomjanovich in the face. 
When the punch landed, he instantly broke his nose, broke his jaw, cracked his skull, and as he fell down to the ground and lay there in semi-consciousness, as blood pooled around him, Tom Janovich would later recall that he could taste in his mouth the spinal fluid as his spine had been severed. It was a punch that would change the way the NBA would approach players and their behavior on court. And it left two people very, very broken. But I think that there are some of us that have been there in life. We're just running. Just trying to be a part of what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Just running down the court as a part of a play, and all of a sudden, something happens to us. We couldn't have predicted it. We couldn't have done anything to avoid it. It wasn't because of any decision that we made. We're sucker punched. You know, I think that an athletic contest is a great way to understand conflict. Because when two teams step onto a court or onto a field, both of those teams want to win. There's a conflict that's ensuing. We want to win. We don't want you to win. We want to be the team that walks away with the victory. You to be the team that walks away with the loss. But if you pay attention, there's always a conflict that emerges within the greater conflict. Some players have actually taught themselves how to use that to their advantage. They try to get inside other players' heads. and They'll create a contest between them and that player just to kind of get them involved in a fight with them. When I used to coach football, we would tell our football players, if you get punched, we need you to understand that the first punch doesn't matter. You have to leave the consequences to that punch, the first punch, up to the referees. Because it's the second person often that responds. The second punch is the one that is always seen. And if you throw the second punch, we can almost guarantee you that you're going to get flagged and we're going to be penalized. I think that that's how conflict works for many of us. You ever thought about that? That you're guaranteed conflict in relationships. It, it's going to happen. Healthy, intimate relationships experience conflict. You're guaranteed conflict in relationships. But it's how we respond to the conflict that causes even more problems. We get sucker punched, but the way we counterpunch creates problems in our relationships. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. It's coming. And some of that trouble that you're going to experience is going to come because you make bad decisions, and then because of those, you experience the consequence. But some of the trouble that you experience in life will have nothing to do with the decisions you made. We get sucker punched, and then many of us, we get in relational trouble because of how we counterpunch the sucker punch. I noticed this as I was studying. 
that we often in the moment when we've been sucker punched, we share what we shouldn't and we withhold what we should give. We share what we shouldn't and we withhold what we should give. So let, let me kind of spend some moments explaining how that works for, for us, okay? I, I want you to see how when we have been sucker punched, when, when there's been a conflict or a situation that came out of nowhere, how do we share what we shouldn't and withhold what we should give? You know, the first thing we share is anger. In the first message in this series, I addressed that. I just want you to understand, anger for most of us comes out of a sense of feeling like we're out of control. We feel out of control that the world is happening to us. We can't do anything, and we, we just start to get frustrated, and frustration that's left unchecked becomes anger. And the, the problem with anger is that anger, if it's left unprocessed, if it's left uncommunicated, anger becomes the motivation for other things in our lives. There's nothing wrong with being frustrated. If you're in an intimate, loving relationship with someone, you will be frustrated with them periodically. It is a part of a natural, healthy relationship. It's how we deal with that that matters. And when it's left unchecked, frustration becomes anger. And then anger, number two, becomes harsh words. Becomes harsh words. Because when anger isn't processed or communicated in a life-giving way, it is going to find a way out of your heart and your soul. And anger's first outlet is often our words. What is in our heart becomes what is on our tongue. It's harsh words. It's a big deal to understand that at times we can go through seasons where we start, and, and, and if it's left unchecked, have you, have you ever noticed that, that your first instinct when you're angry is to say things that you wouldn't normally say? It's not something that you would naturally, or that normally, and when you're, when you're kind of just navigating life on a normal level, you wouldn't say those things. But we need to be reminded that that's not healthy. Have you ever walked in on your kids when they were, maybe, maybe in the bathroom you said, go brush your teeth, and you walk in, and they've got the toothpaste out, and it's everywhere. That ever happened to anybody, or is it just our family, right? All right, it's just toothpaste everywhere, you know one thing you cannot do with your kids? You can't go, put that toothpaste back in that tube. Doesn't work. It won't go back in. You know what? Your words are a lot like toothpaste. Once you let them out, they can be forgiven, right? But they're not gone. And too many times, Anger that is left unchecked finds its first way out through our words, but then it becomes something else. It becomes rage. We could define rage as anger that becomes the motivation for our behavior. This is where anger becomes action. And for us, 
we, we need to be able to see beyond this. This is something, this is actually sinful. Psalm 4 verse 4 would say, don't sin by letting anger control you. That's rage. It's sinful. It's sinful because now the motivating factor in your relationship is no longer love, it's anger. And when that happens, we're sinning. But there's something that happens when anger lives in our heart, not just for a day or for a few hours, but for a season of our life. It's number four, bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness was something that the the Bible talked about a lot. Jesus talked about bitterness a lot. And they understood this because they were kind of an agriculture-based society. And, and a lot of times when they referenced bitterness, it was really talking about like wells and a bitter well that would happen as, as a well would become contaminated. And the, the understanding of bitterness is that something can get into our hearts. The Bible says, guard your heart above all else for from it flows a wellspring of life. That we guard our hearts because when something gets wrong in our hearts, everything that comes out from us is bothered. Bitterness is where anger has been left unprocessed in your heart for a season and you become embittered. And what happens after that is everything that comes out of you is affected by that bitterness. You see, we, we give things we shouldn't give. And we withhold things that we should be giving. What do we withhold? The first thing is kindness. We withhold kindness. Some of us, this is a big struggle because when we feel like we've been sucker punched, the last thing we want to be is kind. And in our internal dialogue in that moment, we'll, we'll say things like, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve kindness. They don't deserve me being nice. They don't deserve me being gracious and having mercy. But I I want you to think about what you're saying when you say they don't deserve. When you say that someone doesn't deserve something, what you've become is a judge. And you're making a judgment. They don't deserve means I think they don't deserve. They don't deserve kindness. Did you hear what they said to me? Did you see how they treated me? Do you know what they did? They don't deserve kindness. And when we say that, when that becomes a big part of our internal dialogue, what's happening is we're taking up a role in our lives that should be reserved for God alone. We become judge. We withhold kindness, but number two, we withhold affection. Affection is a healthy currency within every relationship that expresses love. For some relationships, it's a hug or a handshake. For some, it's even more, if you're married, obviously affection and intimacy means something dramatically different. But how many times have you seen someone who was like, you know what, I'm not going to give that person a hug. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to smile at them, don't want to be around them, because do you know what they did? So we withhold affection. 
Well, it happens in friendships, but friends, it happens a lot in marriages. Where we say, you know what? I'm not going to because you haven't. I want you to hear me clearly. The Apostle Paul in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe, addresses this and says that we should, we should never abstain from intimacy within a marriage unless both parties have agreed on it. It's a, it's a mutual decision. And then only for a while. But it is far too common for us to manipulate relationships by withholding affection. I won't because you haven't. But if you, then I will. It's manipulation. It's weaponization of affection. And I want you to hear me real clearly. Any affection that can be weaponized is not love. Any affection that can be weaponized is not love. It's manipulation. It's coercion. But it is not love. We withhold kindness, we withhold affection, and then we withhold forgiveness. Oh, we know. We know I'm supposed to forgive you. I'm supposed to give you grace and mercy, but you know what? I'll forgive you when you act like you're sorry. I'll forgive you when you ask for forgiveness. I'll forgive you when you apologize. I want to just remind you that what you're saying is I'll forgive you when I think you deserve it. When I think you deserve it. And as long as that question is being processed internally, when you deserve it, I am taking the role of judge. You notice that after a sucker punch in life, we often hold on to things that we don't need to. We, we, we hold on to hurt and, and bitterness and anger. But if we'll get rid of the wrong things, when we get rid of the wrong things, we can give the right things when we're willing to get rid of those things that we shouldn't hold on to, it paves the way and opens the door for us to give what we should give. This is highlighted for us in Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Where the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus is giving them some very practical relational guides, and he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I'm going to read that again because I feel like we just, we need that today. We need to be reminded that there are some things we need to get rid of, and there are some things we need to embrace and work on giving. Because we have a tendency in the middle of conflict to give what we shouldn't give and to withhold the things that would actually help out. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, 
anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, many of us, when we get sucker punched, we counterpunch in a way that is counterproductive to what God's doing in our lives. We don't respond to it really well. And as a matter of fact, our response often undermines what God is trying to do in our lives. So as we kind of get ready to wrap up today, let me give you three things that we can do. We can all do these things to navigate a sucker punch. When we've been sucker punched, this is what we can do to navigate the conflict in a healthy and constructive way. And the first thing that I would tell you today is don't make yourself most important. Don't make yourself most important. I mean, this is how we fight, isn't it? We fight. It's me against you. It's my perspective against your perspective. And I want to win. But the problem with me wanting to win is that if I win, you lose. There's a winner and there's a loser. But what did Jesus say? He said, in this world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have. Which is why last week I told you that if we can start to approach conflict where we say, God, I don't want to win, but I want you to win. I want you to win in my marriage. I want you to win in my finances. I want you to win in my friendships. If Jesus wins, we all win. But too often, the instinct in our heart is to make ourselves most important, especially when we've been sucker punched. And it's just pride. Your pride can be de defined simply as an overemphasis on yourself. Being overly focused, overly concerned with your own self. And Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction. Which means that the choice to be focused on yourself first and foremost is going to come before problems. But if you make that choice and you continue to make that choice to make yourself most important, you're going to derail conflict. Let me just say this because I need, I, everybody needs to hear this. If you continue in conflict to make it all about you, I want you to know this. You can expect and anticipate a lot of pain. But if you can learn to put your pride aside, you can start doing a little bit better with conflict. Let me give you some things. If you're taking notes, I'd write these down. That You'll know you're handling conflict when you're willing to do these things. You'll know you're handling conflict better when you're willing to, number one, be misunderstood and you don't have to defend yourself. You know that you're handling conflict better. Why? Because it's no longer about your perspective. You don't have to be heard. You don't have to be fully understood. Now you just want Jesus to win. And when you lose that instinct to always make sure everybody's heard you out, 
that you're fully understood. You can sit back and go, God, I can trust you with this. I'm willing to be misunderstood if you win. If you win. You can be misunderstood and you don't have to defend yourself. You know you're handling conflict better. Number two, you don't have to have the last word. You don't have to have the last word. How silly is it that we'll get into an argument and we just, we keep escalating. Why? Because we just want to have the last word. It's no longer about me. So I'm not most important here. I don't have to have the last word. Jesus, it's all about you winning. It's all I want. I just want you to win. You know you're handling conflict better when you don't have to have the last word. The next one, that you can admit your weaknesses freely. You can admit your weaknesses freely. That's when someone comes up to you and, and, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, you didn't pay any attention to me this past week. I saw you out and you totally ignored me. And you can go, you know what, that's probably true because I get a little tunnel visioned when I'm out. And I know that and I'm so sorry because it wasn't personal. But please accept my apology. You're willing to admit your weaknesses freely. Not begrudgingly, not every once in a while, freely. You know you're winning and getting better with conflict when you joyfully give up control. Control is just an illusion. Many of us experience anger, especially in relationships, because we feel like things shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't have happened that way. And that's just the illusion of I should be in control. But when we realize that God is in control, and I don't want things to be my way, God, I want them to be your way. There's a freedom to sit back and go, I just, I give it up to you, God, and I joyfully trust you to take this conflict and do what you want to do with it. Joyfully give up control. You say you're sorry quickly. You know you're handling conflict better. When you, you don't say you're sorry after three days of silence, You don't say you're sorry after somebody's done the the checklist of things that you feel like they're supposed to do. No, it's quick. It's quick. You respond quickly to your failures by just saying, "I, I blew that one. I'm sorry. And lastly, you know that you're handling conflict better when you're willing to stay in your lane. When you're willing to stay in your lane. You know, every relationship has a role, a lane. And because of that, you have certain authority in each other's lives. As a parent of young kids, I have a lot of authority in their lives. I will not have that much authority in their lives when they're adults. But I can continue to try to act like I do, and all that's going to happen is it's going to create conflict. Some of us assume a responsibility in other people's lives that we don't have. We don't stay in our lane, and it creates conflict. But we know that we're handling conflict better when we can release that and go, that's not my lane. It's not mine. We're willing to not be that important. Number two, slow down and choose kindness. Slow down and choose kindness. If we're going to navigate a sucker punch in a healthier way, we need to learn to slow down and choose kindness. Have you ever noticed that in your heart, 
and in your mind, we get really quick to respond to a sucker punch. Something happens, and we're real quick to say that's so-and-so's fault, and they did that, and they shouldn't have done that, and they were not there for me, and all of those things that come as a result of that. We're quick to do that. Quick. It's a, it's a very easy reaction in our hearts. But the faster you react, the less you understand. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all need to hear that. The faster you react, the less you understand. Which is why I think the, the scriptures actually point us in a different direction. In James chapter 1, the, the brother of Jesus, James, has given us some instruction on handling conflict. And he says that there's one thing in conflict we need to do very quickly, and there's a couple things that we need to be really slow to do. Look at what he says. You must all, that means everybody, all of us, all of us listening, all of us watching, all, you must all be quick to listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I believe that if we become people that instead of being critical, we get inquisitive, Instead of being cri critical, we, we become inquisitive. How many of you, your first reaction is to ask a question, not make a judgment? Not many of us. But if we can work on that, being able to say, you know what, when there's tension and conflict, my first reaction is going to be to go to a question, not a statement. Be quick to listen. Learn. Try to understand. And be slow to speak. Slow to make judgments. Show, slow to give criticism, slow, slow, slow. And then slow to become angry. I believe that we can deal with frustration and anger in a lot more of a healthy way when we become quick to listen and slow to speak. When we slow down, what happens is we give ourselves a chance to choose kindness. We give ourselves the opportunity that we would have to choose to be kind. And some of us kind of look at that and they're like, that feels very emotional and it feels kind of maybe even a little effeminate. But I want you to understand something. There are some of us in this room that we have yet to get out of conflict what God wants to produce because we are not navigating conflict through kindness. I want you to hear me. All of us have been enemies of God. Every person in this room. The Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us turning to our own way. And as sinners, we were the opposition of who God wants, the life that God wants to build. And how did God treat you? How did God navigate that conflict? The book of Romans says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord 
that leads to repentance. And some of us, we've navigated conflict with judgment and criticism, and you've never quite gotten out of that conflict what God wanted you to because God wants you to learn how to do it with kindness. It's the way he loved you through the conflict that he had with you, and it's the way he wants you to love other people. And you need to learn to slow down and choose con- and choose kindness. Because number three, we've got to get good at this. We need to forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. Forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. You notice the end of that passage in Ephesians where he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as... God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know, Rudy Tomjanovich, who who laid at center court there in 1977 after receiving the punch, would rehab and return to the NBA for two more seasons. In an interview, after he had returned, A reporter asked, how did you prepare emotionally to return to a game that almost took your life? And he said, I realized early into my rehab that I would not be able to recover if I didn't forgive him. Two thousand and two, USA Today brought Kermit Washington and Rudy Tomjanovich into a room to interview them. It was the first time they'd seen each other since that night in December of 2000 or of 1977. 2002, they sit down decades later and the first words whereas Rudy looked into his eyes, he said, I want you to know I forgive you. I want you to know I forgive you. See, some of us Some of us today have been through sucker punches in life and we're holding on to bitterness and anger and sense of control over that situation that has just eradicated the life that God is trying to build in your heart. And out of everything that's flowing from you, there's bitterness and anger and rage because you haven't been willing to let go of it. only way to navigate a sucker punch is to do it the way that God navigated his conflict with you. To choose kindness and then choose grace and forgiveness. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.